0: Hello and welcome to The Activator, a podcast dedicated to helping you develop confidence and strategies to share your faith. My name's Josh Duell, and on today's episode, we're going to be continuing on through part two of a conversation I recently had with Andy Steiger. We're going to be talking about the five biggest questions Andy encounters when sharing the gospel. He's going to share some tips on how to respond to some common questions and how to respond even when you don't know the answer. He's going to share some ideas on how the church could be more effective at engaging our present culture. And we're going to wrap up by talking about the thinking series, which Andy produced. So thanks for tuning in for part two, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Andy, when I first moved to Vancouver, I made a survey and I, and I walked around the streets and asked people their beliefs. I, I didn't grow up in Vancouver, um, but it, it's one of the most multicultural, multi-ethnic cities, um, really anywhere. And so I wanted to go out and find out some of the, the questions and doubts and problems that people had with God, which opened the door for so many good discussions. Actually, I remember one guy coming to faith in a park as I just did this simple survey, uh, which was, it wasn't really a trick. It wasn't a, a bait and switch. It was me legitimately trying to figure out what people believed in the city. Um, I'm curious, as you engage with people around North America, what do you see as being some of the biggest questions people struggle with?
1: You know by and large uh the the biggest question that that I see people struggling with is the question of evil mm. um and suffering and i it probably won't surprise people and to be honest, it kind of surprised me because it you know it wasn't one of the major issues that that I necessarily was dealing with. However, the more I've thought about it, the more I realized that suffering and evil is kind of uh, a touch point for I think every question that we ask. Mm. If you dig deeper into any question we ask, eventually you're gonna hit something on the context of of suffering and, and evil. So yeah, it's kind of been a that one's kind of been a journey for me, just realizing how um, how significant that question is. And I think one of the reasons why it's a question that we just continue to deal with is it's one of the few questions that hits us both head and heart. It's mm-hmm. something that we know, but it's also something that we experience and that we have to work through. And especially for people who have gone through or are going through really traumatic moments in their life. Uh, it's difficult for us to, to process that, especially, and I think this is critical in a lonely culture mm-hmm. it, when you're in such a lonely, isolated you know narcissistic culture and by narcissism i mean that you just your focus is constantly on yourself uh it just this, this just spirals um you know yeah let, let me, can i just say one thing here yeah. that might kind of help with this one of the things that god's really teaching me lately is you know even you know you know this idea of of evangelism or this idea of listening. This is something that we do more, that we do not just for people who are Christian, for non-Christians, but are Christians as well, right? It's an attitude of how we, how we live and how we understand, you know, who we are. So, so for example, uh, a couple months ago, uh, before COVID, uh, a friend of mine, um, his wife uh, had a miscarriage and he was really struggling with this. And so he was a Christian, right? Struggling with this and has lots of doubts and questions which is normal. And he came over to my house for a hot tub. And uh, <laughs> some great evangelism, by the way, takes place in a hot tub.
0: All right. Everyone get a hot tub.
1: <laughs> 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 and, and I just listened to him for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. And, and at times where he was silent, and other times where he cried. And I remember in that experience, just remembering and thinking to myself how important this is not just him, but for me as well, how, how important it is to be, to be willing to walk with people through those moments of suffering, those moments of hardship, and, and that that can actually be a good thing. When we walk through that in community, we walk through that in relationship with one another. But how often that's not the case. How often it's the case that we will walk through it in isolation, where we will separate ourselves from people as we go through those hard times and, and this is what we do is our first MO, right? Is we will step ourselves from God and, and isolate, isolate from God. And, and we go through this alone and the brokenness just spiraled. Hmm.
0: I had a, just to the, that topic, um, that, that kind of defeater question to borrow from Keller of, uh, the problem of evil and why is there evil in the world? Um, that people will present a, a neighbor, I was, I was hanging out with a neighbor the other day and they, they came with that question. They will, first off, they started saying like, how did you become a Christian? Um, my neighbors know I'm a pastor. And so, um, get these questions. Um, and I, and I spoke to that and I said, well, do you have any sort of faith background or a belief system? And they said, you know, I, I'd grown up and, um, kind of had these really good friends who were Christian. And so I, I identified as a Christian cause these were the best people I knew, but then some bad stuff happened to me in my life and um the thing that kind of tossed them off the rails was th- the problem of where did this evil come from and if there's a god where did the evil come from and and i kind of turned the question on the head uh, on on its head with her and i just said so like um i identified with her sympathized and and said i think this is a really good question but um how has the idea of there not being a god made more sense of of evil for you and she didn't really have an answer to that she she said well that that's really interesting i've never thought of that um and that opened the door for a much more discussion but i'd love to hear from you like if if somebody's engaging with a friend um someone they meet who's wrestling through this idea of um why is there evil how would you counsel or coach them um to to answer this
1: well, I think this is a good uh, scenario you presented because, on the one hand, I presented a story where a person, you know, is going through suffering evil at an experiential level. So it's something that they are experiencing and they're wrestling through it. And so the the default in that moment is listening. The way you're going to love that person in that moment is just by being with them is by being silent at times mm. and just listening to them and caring for them and and being present uh, is loving them in that moment. Now you're presenting a different scenario and I think people just need to be cognizant that evil is one of those things that's experienced in different ways. It's experienced, you know, uh, emotionally, you know, it's experienced, you know, experientially, but it's also experienced uh, or wrestled with mentally and intellectually and so you, you, your story is more one where they're engaging with the question more at an intellectual level. You know, why, why is there evil? Um, and so in, in those moments, then, I think we have the opportunity to be able to do exactly what you did, where you're listening and you're talking with them and you have these opportunities to ask you know, challenging questions that help to get people to think more. On that question and in that relationship with the person, you know, you'll have opportunities to to go deeper, and and you know, who, who knows where where it will go from there. Mm-hmm. And, and it, in, in my in my end, you know, experience, it's often just this up, you know, being willing to be available. So, for example, for me and my neighbor, uh, my neighbor never wanted to talk about God. Uh, they, they were not not interested. And if a conversation came up, there with a it. However, my neighbor's husband got sick and was in the hospital and she knew that I was a pastor. And when things got really desperate and looked like he might die, asked me if I would go to the hospital and pray over him. Mm. And that was one of those moments. And I would say that, you know, that's one of those moments where you're sharing your hope with people, you know, being ready and willing to share your hope with people. And so I did, and I led their family in prayer over him. And it's interesting, he, he miraculously got better. And as soon as he got out of the hospital, they both came over to my house and sat on my couch and said, tell me about God. And, and then it was a different conversation. Yeah. And so I think, I think we need to be willing to engage people in those different levels with where they're at. Because you'll never, you won't know where they're at unless you're willing to listen to them. That's good. But I think we also have to be careful that we remember not everyone's like us and not everyone's asking the same questions I'm asking because we tend to default to evangelize to ourselves. And I think that's one of those, those aspects where listening is so important so that I can figure out that what are, I know what questions I've been asking, but what are the questions mm. that they're asking and where, where are they at?
0: And that goes back to what we were talking about just a little bit ago about when we were interacting with the Buddhist or whoever um, to take the time to actually find out what they do believe. That's why most of my evangelistic approach is just asking questions so that um, you don't end up, um, in a sense, kind of um, dealing with something that's not really the issue for them at all. Uh, Andy, you wrote a book called Thinking answering life's five biggest questions. And you lay out there five questions. Of course you have this, why is there evil? But you have the meaning of life, does God exist? Do all religions lead to God? Is there life after death? Um, Really, really good questions. I think some listener could go and read that and probably come out a lot more equipped to answer these questions um, as they come up. I noticed in that list, um, you left out, where did I come from? And that seems like, in my mind, one of the bigger questions. Is there a reason you left that out, or is um, that just not as big of a question as 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 it maybe once was?
1: Uh, where where did I come from? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking uh, like? What, can you um, tell me a little bit more of what you're thinking with regards to that question, just so I make sure I understand you?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like um, origins.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, kind of like an evolutionary question or something to that effect. Sure. Like, um, just, uh, historically, like I remember doing campus crusades with Christ and, and walking up to people in the university of Calgary and saying, um, where do you believe you came from as a, a discussion opener and, and the theory of evolution being presented, I mean, in my city, 60% of people believe they're nothing more than time and chance happening upon matter. Kind of the great, 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 great grandbabies of bluefin tuna. Mm-hmm. So, um, is that not as big of a question?
1: Uh, well, it, you know, it's interesting you would bring that up. Uh, cause I was actually talking with Nancy Piercy once. She's a, a great thinker. Oh, I author. love
0: Nancy Piercy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She's great. And she actually challenged me too on my list. She's like, why did you have a uh, truth on there? She goes, what about, you know, <laughs> is there truth? And one of the things I said to her, and it, and it really, is the same, same reply, uh, for you is that I think that those are important questions. And, um, and it is, uh, a question that's being asked, but one of the things that I um, became convinced of is, is that, you know, we tend to ask the, the same questions, but in different ways. So for example, my intercommunity to Piercy was, uh, I do deal with the question of, is there truth? But I, but I think that culturally we don't ask it that way. We tend to ask you all religions and to God. That's kind of how we more get to that question. And I think with, with regards to origins, I, I think that often gets, um, Caught up in the question of does God exist, and issues of of the meaning of life. When it when it comes to the origin question, uh, specifically though, uh, that that is one where um, I I don't I don't address that issue because I make a distinction between secondary issues and primary issues. And so in the book I, I really just tried to focus on primary issues, primary questions. So uh, such as does does God exist? And if mm-hmm. God exists, then you know, you could go the theistic evolution route or you could go the you know six day creation route or the intelligent design route, you know, you, you could branch off from there, but the foundational question is whether or not life is the product of chance and determinism, or is it the product of intention, uh, the product of, mm. of, the, of of a creator?
0: No, I, I value that answer too. I think back in some of my earliest memories, or probably exposure to apologetics, consisted of some guy trying to poke holes in scientific theories around evolution. Um, somebody getting up and kind of loudly making a case for whatever, it could be the flood from geological core samples or defending the accuracy of the Old Testament account with some wagon wheel photo that they mm. found in the Red Sea, apparently belonging to Pharaoh's army. And, and I think when some people imagine apologetics, this is what comes to mind. Just some guy making cases, trying to win people over uh, to a belief in Christ with a bunch of evidences and facts. W- what's your thoughts on this classic approach that I encountered? What do, what do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I think you're making a really good point, and it's something that has uh, been of concern for me. Is that some people have, you know, their hobby horse, right? They've got they got their pony that they like to hop on and ride around, and they they think it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's an issue, right? That they're really passionate about, and they think it's uh, they, they think it's a core question. And often it's not. And sometimes I think that we've got to be careful that um that we don't create what i call false dilemmas um on issues where we could take uh evolution as an example of a false dilemma uh for a long time when i first became a christian uh what i found in the church was this was this idea that if evolution was true christianity was false but if we could show that evolution was false christianity was true and this is an absolute False dilemma, and it sadly took me far too long to realize that the logic in all this was was horrendous. That, that that didn't follow. There are I know lots of people, by the way, that don't believe in you know neo Darwinism, uh, th- but they're not Christians. You know they yeah. they have a different idea of the origin, um, and the. And but sadly, I know of a lot of people that abandoned their faith because they weren't sure about what to do about, about evolution. And so I think we need to make sure that we're understanding questions clearly. And I do believe that's a part of apologetics to make sure that you know, we have good, clear thinking as we're helping people with their questions. And also, at times, I think that we're making sure that we're leaving room for people to be able to work through. Um, what I would call open handed questions. And that are those are those are different questions within Christianity that we hold with an open hand in that we're willing to, you know, give people the freedom to work out, you know, what they think on a specific issue because we're not exactly sure. And um and mm-hmm. you know, we can see that I would argue that evolution is one of those. That I, I don't know exactly um in, that there's a i I would argue that there's not a you know an orthodox view on that, and we see a variety of well respected theologians that have a variety of opinion on uh, on that subject and so I think we need to be willing to um have some grace there. We also see this with other doctrinal issues such as Calvinism and Arminian views or you know or whatever they might be where we have some openness to that where we give people the freedom to, to work through those questions.
0: Yeah. And not, not make that our, our starting point. And it kind of makes me think of the apostles creed and just sticking to, um, the big blocks, grabbing the, the close handed issues, beginning mm-hmm. with, I mean, really the need of saving, uh, Christ, mm-hmm. the cross, God's, um, inserting himself into humanity in order to rescue it. And sometimes we're trying to die on a, um, a secondary hill before we've even broached the fr- the, the primary hill.
1: Well, and, that, and for some people, that's what they think evangelism is. Like, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I know too many people that think that if I can convince somebody that, you know, abortion is wrong, that I've evangelized them. And, and that's, that you know, that's not the gospel. Um, the same thing with evolution and a whole bunch of, of other issues. Um, and that that's where things can get concerning for me. And if I can actually just give, you know, some words of encouragement to listeners. One of the things that you'll find is if you, if you engage people in secondary issues, it will often be contentious and will, will often lead to arguments. Uh, that it, just, it, it just does. However, if you do a primary issue, it, it rarely uh, leads to arguments and often is a much more open conversation
0: and gets to the gospel. That's fascinating, eh? how that works. Yeah, I haven't really put that together before, but when I think back, uh, I, I've found that to be true as well. Yeah. I think there's probably some listening, um, and they may be thinking, I-, I don't know what my friend's biggest question is. And maybe they're, they're a little trepidatious about beginning a conversation, maybe they don't even know how to start a conversation. What what sort of questions could someone ask to get a conversation going that might lead in to an opportunity to discuss some of these bigger questions and uh, have a meaningful discussion about faith?
1: You know, my my encouragement to people would be, uh, first and foremost, you know, that they have it in their mind that their desire is to love and to care for their friends. And to see how, how they can do that as they're engaging with their friend and asking questions about themselves. Like, am I committed to community? You know, do I value relationships? That my friend needs a relationship with me, but I also need a relationship with my friend. That this is good and healthy um, for, for them, but it's also good and healthy uh, for me. And so when we are in community with people then, I think naturally we understand what's going on in their lives. We know about them in their lives and we're willing to ask questions about what's going on. And I would argue that that's one of the important aspects is, is to be willing to, to ask your, your friend what's going on in their life. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a conversation where it's one sided and you know, the person just wants to talk about themselves all the time. Uh, but
0: unfortunately, yes,
1: <laughs> I think we all have, right? It's not yeah. <laughs> pleasant, but we have to make sure that we're not that person. You know, we're not that person that's just about themselves and doesn't ask questions of other people because you'll never know what's going on. I mean, maybe that's something you have to ask yourself. If you don't know what's going on in your friend's life, maybe you might not, you know, maybe you've been doing too much talking and not enough listening.
0: Yeah. <sighs> I'm also thinking of that person who, um, is maybe afraid to venture out into conversation about their friends, um, questions, doubts, problems they might have with Christianity, whatever it may be, because they don't feel equipped to be able to give the answer to the question. Uh, So Mm. to that person who's just taking these first steps and maybe afraid of not having a right answer, what would you say?
1: Um, you know. It's interesting when um when I go and speak at universities or conferences and schools and whatnot, people sometimes will ask, you know, aren't you afraid, you know, that you're gonna be asked a question you don't know the answer to? And uh and my answer to that is no, I, I'm not because this is um loving and caring for people isn't isn't about trying to be the smartest person in the room. Uh I already know that I'm not the smartest person in the room and I'm I'm quite okay with that. I but I, but I do know though is that I love Jesus dearly and that my relationship with the Lord is the, the most important thing that I have. And so uh it, it also equips me to not be afraid and not, not to be afraid to engage with questions that I might not know the answer to. So when I'm listening to people on any sort of and they share things and there's those moments where I don't know, you know, I, I think that we just need to be honest with people and just say, Man, that's a really that's a really good question you've asked. And I could I see why you're struggling with that. And, and, you, and you might not know the answer to it. Just tell them that. Uh, it's amazing how endearing that is, by the way, when somebody can just be humble enough to say, I don't know. Um, but it also means, though, that you're willing, and I would say this is really critical, by the way, as a parent, that in your, because trust me, as a parent, you're going to have these questions with your kid where they're going to raise issues that you're not going to know the answer to. But are you willing to roll up your sleeves and, and to go, you know, get a book or whatever it is and do the research and, and see what the answer is? Because there's, there are answers. And, and it's interesting, by the way, as a side note, research continues to show that if you want to help your kid grow, grow in their faith, this is what you need to do. And I think the same thing is true with friends. You be willing to listen. When you find questions that they're asking, be willing to engage those questions to go find the answer if you don't know the answer and to make sure you follow up. And what happens is you build this um, pattern of questions and answers and questions and answers. And soon there's a confidence that comes when a question is asked because they've gotten in that pattern of going, there are answers, I just need to find it. And so I think that we can play that role even with our friends, where they ask a question and you might not know the answer, and but you go find it and you follow up with your friends.
0: Maybe to switch gears just a little from this um, personal um, side of things and to think more corporately of the church, uh, in the attempts that are made to reach the culture with the good news of the gospel, it seems the approach of the church, uh, kind of the approach that's been. Being taken is to put on some sort of event to draw people in, like if we could just get them in the building, they would see that we aren't bad and they would stick around. So when I was a kid in the '80s, churches put on a wanna. but memorizing Bible verses and getting candy didn't do a very good job of keeping people around. The, now I think that the average outreach events for most churches consist of what, summer camps, fall carnivals, singing Christmas trees. but these events are not really doing a great job of answering people's questions. And so here in this post Christian West where I find myself post post Christian, some are saying it's pre Christian, the church is no longer viewed as a safe institution. It's, it's a cultural suspect. It's not thought of with really any fondness or familiarity that most people, um, you know, most people, they're probably two to three generations removed from any contact with the church. Do you think the church needs to shift its approach? And if so, how do you think we could be doing that in order to answer these questions of the culture around us and, and engage um, with the cities we live in in loving ways?
1: Yeah, so I think that that's a great question, and I, and I absolutely uh, agree with you that, that the church needs to change its approach and has had um, approaches that, that, interestingly enough, worked at one point, uh, the, you know, I I do know people who came to faith through Billy Graham Crusade. You know, like mm-hmm. like those had their moments and maybe will again. I, I I'm not sure, uh,
0: but there are. Do you know anyone things. who came to faith through a singing Christmas tree?
1: <laughs> I, now to be yeah, I don't know anybody on on the singing Christmas tree. <laughs> although I I won't be surprised if there are. Uh, that, now the one though that I really resonate with you that is with regards to Awana. Um, you know, my mom loves Awana dearly, and I hope she doesn't hear this because uh, I think uh, she would strangle me, but uh, I, I think Awana has not succeeded as well as we would have hoped. You know, when you have all these kids memorizing verses, and and I and I fear that, you know, we, we made Christianity to just be um, the know, bible verses ripped out of context and memorized that mm-hmm. that really um what what it hasn't helped in is that we've got a culture that, both outside the church but inside the church that doesn't understand what christianity is and, and and that i think is one of our fundamental problems they they don't they don't understand what it truly means to be a, a christian and and so that's one of those reasons why we'll have people asking so many questions, like whether or not you need to go to church and these other sorts of things, because you know we've really sold people this idea that you just need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Which, by the way, I'd love for you to find that verse for me. You know, mm-hmm. find find that evangelistic verse where you need to go
0: and have people invite Jesus into their heart. What you gets depeche you, mode. <laughs> Instead, personal Jesus—that's where it that's came right.
1: from. That's right, <laughs> and and that's what ends up happening is you create your own personal Jesus, and the what you see though in the Bible is um, uh, something uh, quite different than that. You see this idea that you're being invited into a personal and corporate relationship with God. And, and so then you start to see things differently. It's not just about um, me, it's about us. And, and again, that, that personal aspect of it just really feeds the narcissism and the consumer culture that we've bred here oh, yeah. in the West. Yeah. And, I, and I think that that becomes a, a real problem. And so that's where I'm saying, do I, do I think that events you know, are bad. No, I don't. And I think they can work. You know, we put on an Apologetics Canada conference that fills up with people. We've had lots of people come to faith through those opportunities. However, if that's the sum total of their experience of church, we have done them a serious disservice. Um yeah. where where what I'm what I so what I'm trying to get at is it's this I think it needs to be a healthy mix. But the problem right now is we really have made church about an event that you bring people to, and then that becomes their understanding of evangelism. And that becomes quite problematic, and in some ways I'm thankful for COVID because it's really shaken the church to start to see that uh, being the church is more than just putting on an event. It's about a community. And so here's something interesting that i just going to throw out there, Joshua, for, For me, where I have seen the most people come to faith as of recent, uh, has been in my community group. It's been inviting Mm. people into my home uh, where we share a meal together in community and we talk about the Bible and life's big question and we have seen lots and lots of people place their trust in Jesus for the first time.
0: That's really interesting and I think that segues well. One of the One of the first exposures I had to you was through the thinking series, uh, Mm -hmm. a really unique video series that kind of addressed some of the bigger questions of life in a way that made it really comfortable for people from different faiths to sit down and have this discussion together. And Alpha is a lot like that, but it, it is very churchy. It gets very Christian very quickly. And so sometimes in those secular contexts, people can get a little weirded out initially because they feel like oh, I'm sitting down to this Christian conversation. And I loved your thinking series because it 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 started a little bit more broadly. Could you could you tell us a bit more about the history of that project and how it came to be?
1: Yeah, Um so when I started Apologetic Canada, uh, I was looking for opportunities of how I could be of service to the church. And there was a church plant taking place uh, in um, the Port Moody area. And they, uh, they were doing something quite interesting. They were really, you know, forward-thinking and, and, and out there with their evangelism in that they were in the community, and specifically in a coffee shop where they were engaging with, um, with non-Christians and doing a, a, an amazing job at it. That they were having a challenge, and that was, you know, what what to engage them with. And so they were trying Alpha um, for a while, but one of the problems that they were having with Alpha was that Alpha, uh, like you said, um, can get uh, pretty churchy a little too quick. And so what they were looking for was a pre-Alpha. And so they asked if I would be willing to come in because they, they said, listen, Andy, one of the things that we're realizing is, like, um, some of the, uh, and I'm not trying to dog alpha by the way because I think alpha is great in, when, it's, mm-hmm. when it's used in its context, right? Uh, uh, yeah, But the absolutely. problem that they were having was a, a lot of people uh, weren't even sure whether or not God existed, let alone that you know Jesus was was God. And so they needed something that was much more foundational and that was asking much more uh, fundamental questions, especially as you've already been mentioning in, in a in a post-church you know, culture where, where people by and large are very ignorant about Christianity. They, they know very little. But yet also a culture, interestingly enough, that has very few outlets to ask life's big questions. Um, yeah. where, where in our world can you go to talk about the meaning of life? Most people laugh about that and make some dumb joke about, you know, uh, a movie reference or something like that, it always annoys me. You know, I think is the most important question we can be asking, and the best that we can do is, you know, make reference to some movie that makes it into a joke, and for a lot of people, it's become a joke, or well, can be, but, but there's a lot of people that are really wrestling with the question, you know, mm-hmm. what's the meaning of life, and does God exist? And so, what they found at this coffee shop is those are the kind of questions they were coming with. And, but weren't being addressed? And so what I, what I did is I, as I took some time to figure out what are the questions that culture is just fundamentally asking. Uh, and that became the thinking series. Is I would go to this coffee shop that would often fill up with non-Christians. And oftentimes I'd have like 60, 70 non-Christians there that I'm talking with the meaning of life about or I'm talking about God's existence. Um, all, those, all those questions.
0: So how would how was that formatted like somehow people would find out about this thing going on at the coffee shop I'm just trying to figure out like how could we somebody take this idea and run it in their own community so how were people finding out about what was going on at the coffee shop and then what sort of format did you use to present these questions
1: Yeah so the way that they did it is we would have a local musician that would start the night off uh, they oh they would rent the coffee shop out, first of all, and they would um, charge everyone that came in uh, a set fee that was kind of gave them a deal so that they would get a coffee and a snack. So the coffee shop owner loved it because they made oh, yeah. good money on doing this. And it's outside of business hours, so for them, this was great. And so they just had, uh, they would just run um, local ads and letting people know that, hey, if you want to talk about the question, you know, what's the meaning of life? We're going to do that on this day and this time at this coffee shop. And, and or you know, it's by the way, uh, you know, the last question I'm thinking to is, is there life after death? Um, there's something, there's a movement that started in L.A. about the same time I started thinking to it. It's called death cafes, where people would just go to cafes together and they could talk about death. But it, what was interesting about that is they had all these restrictions that they couldn't bring God in the conversation and all that. But for us, what we did is, uh, no, you can bring anything into the conversation. And people did. They would often talk about all sorts of interesting stuff. And we had people of every kind of background uh, that would come out to the coffee shop, which means then that you're going to have some interesting conversations. And in and, and gentleness and respect, you're going to need to navigate through, you know, Maybe somebody's new age ideas, uh, which could get fairly bizarre. But there were little tools, little tricks that I learned along the way to just um, to make things go smoothly and and to make things comfortable for people, even though all sorts of worldviews are being better. Could could you share a couple of those? Yeah, here's a couple. Yeah, here's the most important one. Uh, I never, ever do a speaking engagement without humanizing myself first. Uh, and by that, I mean, I will always tell people my name. I'll always be um, vulnerable with people. I'll let them know that I'm a husband, a father. Maybe I'll even let them know about my mom, Judy. You know, I, I, I do my best or my dog, Wilson, you know, like I, I want to say these sorts of things and talk about these sorts of things so that they they see that I'm a flesh and blood human being because of our social media culture. Uh, it's just so easy to have a characterized idea of what a Christian is and for them to come with that very dehumanized view of me as some sinister evangelist that's trying to do some <laughs> bait and switch to, you know, um, I don't know, cast demons out of them or something. Uh, right. So so I, I, I really spend a lot of time humanizing myself. Uh, and one of the things you'll find, and this always works, uh, and I, something I talk about in my book, the new book coming mm. out, but uh, it's very hard to be mean to somebody that humanizes themselves. Uh, in, in, it's, just, it's very difficult. And so that really helps the timber of the conversation. And then the uh, second thing is that if somebody's raising a question that it's just starting to get off track, if it's getting heated, if, if there's something going on, then I just, I'll, I just stop the conversation and just address the person and let them know that I appreciate that question and that I'm going to need to stop there uh, and that at the end of the night, please come talk with me and we will continue
0: this conversation. So when you were doing this, these conversations, you'd be presenting from the front, opening up discussion to an entire room? Yep. Yeah. So sometimes you would see obviously some like discussion kind of go here and there. You needed to be able to direct that. But um, how did that then, this coffee shop experience directing these conversations, evolve into the thinking series, a really well done um, video series people could run?
1: Uh, well, as we, thought, as we saw how successful it was, dealing with these questions that people are asking, especially doing it with honesty, um, that it was, it was successful, uh, that we would see people come to faith. And by that, too, I mean it was more than just they would have this you know, moment of you know, accepting Jesus in their heart kind of idea. And, and this is an idea that I'd like to just present for, for your listeners just to think about, is the gospel of calling people into community, into relationship, where These are people, and think about that, that the the gospel is more than just calling people into a relationship with God, which we did, but it's calling people into a relationship with people. The idea of what it means to be a church, that you're committed to your community with God and you're committed to community with people, and so what happened is is that people would start a relationship with God, but they'd also start a relationship with the church, and but you need to be able to point them in that direction, right? You need to be able to help people get connected in, into community. And because I would honestly say this, I think it's one of the greatest apologetics that we have today in a lonely culture is community, is, is relationship. Yeah. That I think that's a really important aspect for people to think about. At the end of the day, I began to be asked to do the speaking series all, all over the place and it became too much. And I realized that I'm only one person, and I can't speak all over this place. So the idea came uh, to create a video, so that other pe- so that we can help other people host their own thinking series. And the way that we did it is in two parts. The first part of the series is where we created these short films that raise the question and get people talking, because that was one of the things that we learned in doing the coffee shops, is that a lot of those people came not just for answers. They came for community. They came to also talk. They wanted to share their own ideas. And so um, making sure you give people the space and the opportunity to share, to be able to talk through what how they see the world. And again, that might be uncomfortable for you, but it's important. To, and, and you're never going to know, you know that you have a Buddhist or that you've got some new age thinker or whatever it might be until you do that. At any rate... And then the second, so the first part is just raising the question, getting people to talk. Uh, The second part is answering the question and, again, getting uh, people to talk and then doing Q&A. So when I created the, the thinking series, the idea was that people could use as much or as little of the resources they wanted. So they could, if they wanted, they could just use the intro videos to get people talking and then do the teaching themselves, or they could use the videos for both the talking and the teaching. It's really up to them. Uh, one of the places that we have found the thinking to use the most is is in schools. Uh, A lot of, a lot of schools use the resource as well Mm -hmm. with with students.
0: I've had some friends that have run it uh, with great success. That's how I heard about it. Um, I had been um, trying to find some creative ways to engage the community in a church plant I was a part of and uh, came across it. So I commend that to listeners. Certainly it's a, fantastic tool, uh, and, and pr- so much we can learn from that. I, I'd, I'd love to hear more, but uh, where could I direct listeners to if they wanted to find out more about that and maybe more of what you're up to, Andy?
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, if they go to com, they can find out uh, a lot more uh, resources of what we're about. We have the uh, AC podcast that they can check out. Uh, where we have a weekly uh, podcast that goes out. And then the com, or they can just they can go again to partitfans.com and they'll find the things There's also a new resource that we put out called The Human Project. Um, so those are, those are some of the resources that they could grab hold of easily. Thank you.
0: Uh, You've got so much great material. I will link to that in the show notes and encourage listeners to go check that out. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was great being with you, Joshua.
0: Well, thanks again for tuning into The Activator. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe because we're going to be having a ton of more great content coming out regularly. You can find notes and links to everything we've talked about in today's show at theactivatorpodcast.com. Additionally, if you've enjoyed what you heard, share it with someone who you think could enjoy it as well. And please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And I'm going to select one person who leaves a review to send out a gift to. There's a great episode coming next week, so stay tuned. But until then, be on the lookout for the missional moments that the Holy Spirit might be setting up for you to share your faith. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.